Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hi, I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the pastors at Blue Oaks. If you're just joining us in this series, you couldn't have picked a better week. Uh, We have two more weeks in this series, and we're going to look at two parts on how to deal with the difficult people in our lives. Uh, If we're going to live at peace with one another, undivided, uh, we're going to have to learn how to deal with difficult people. Uh, John Orberg wrote a book with a great title, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Uh, And this is what he writes. In many stores, you can often find a section of merchandise where you can get a great deal on stuff. And the tip-off is a particular tag that you'll see on all the items in that area. Every tag carries the same words, as is. This is a euphemistic way of saying, these are damaged goods. Sometimes they're called slightly irregular. It's part of truth in advertising. It's the store's way of saying, you're gonna find a flaw here, a stain that won't come out, a zipper that won't zip, a button that won't work. We're not gonna tell you where the flaw is. You'll have to look for it, but we know it's there. So when you find it, and you'll find it, don't come whining and sniffling to us about it. You won't get any refunds, exchanges, or sympathies. Don't expect perfection, not in this part of the store. You have received fair warning. If you want this item, there's only one way to obtain it. You must take it as is. And I was thinking this week, what if there was a truth in advertising uh, for people? I mean, if, if you're single, what if dating services or uh, singles websites or singles church groups required everyone to wear a sign, you know, slightly bruised self-esteem or mildly impaired ability to commit, or total wacko, run for your life. I mean, if there was a truth in advertising law for people, would anyone get married? Uh, If you're sitting with someone, take a look at them for a minute. That person is slightly irregular. Uh, There's a tag on that person that reads, as is, don't expect perfection, not in this part of the store. There's a flaw here, and when you find it, and you will find it, Don't be shocked, no refunds. The reason I mention this, of course, is that this week and in the weeks to come, with the holiday season here, you and I are going to gather around the table with extended family members. And there's a real good chance that one of them might have some flaws. Uh, You may have a difficult relationship there, or you may have one with a neighbor or someone you work with. Author Les Parrott gives indicators that you might have what he calls a high-maintenance relationship. Let me just run through a few of those indicators. Uh, Just see if you can identify if you have any high-maintenance relationships in your life. Number one, you feel less energy. After being around high-maintenance people, you feel drained or guilty or defeated. You just come away feeling emotionally depleted. Uh, Number two, you become self-critical. 
Uh, when you're with a high-maintenance person, you become more uh, self-critical. You often find yourself judging yourself. Uh, you feel kind of uh, condemned. Uh, you feel more self-doubt. Uh, number three, you get anxious. Uh, you experience anxiety or uh, irritation when you hear their voice. Uh, you get a voicemail and just hearing their voice makes you anxious. Uh, you don't want to return the phone call. You start thinking of all the excuses for why you didn't return their call. Number four, you have imaginary conversations. Uh, you, you find yourself holding imaginary conversations with them when they're not around. Uh, you say all the things that you wish were out in the open that are not out in the open. Uh, number five, you avoid. You find yourself going out of your way to avoid these people. Uh, and maybe after being with this person, you sometimes find yourself wanting to engage in uh, negative escapist types of behavior, uh, like drinking too much or eating a box of chocolates or listening to country music. Uh, can you think of at least one person, uh, maybe at work, maybe uh, who's gonna be sitting around the table this week who ought to wear a sign slightly irregular? Now, the writers of scripture have quite a lot to say about relational wisdom. In fact, some of Jesus' most famous sayings and some of the most misunderstood sayings are about difficult relationships. Uh, for instance, when Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 40, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them two miles. I want to say a word about these sayings because it's very important that we understand the nature of Jesus' teaching. In statements like these, Jesus is not giving uh, rules or laws. Uh, as a master teacher, what he's doing is contrasting life in the kingdom of God with what might be called uh, conventional wisdom about human relationships, the way people just kind of reflexively respond to each other. I'll give you an example of this kind of thing. Uh, this is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Uh, Jesus is at a dinner, and he sees people kind of uh, jockeying around for status and position. And this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. So Jesus clearly teaches we should not have our relatives over for dinner. <laughs> Some of you have been searching for that verse your whole life. And you're so happy now that you know this is biblical. Uh, you're ready to pick up the phone and call your relatives right now and say, sorry, Jesus says you can't come over to my house for dinner. It's Luke 14, 12. It's right there. Now, is Jesus really teaching here that it's a sin to have your relatives over for dinner? Uh, as much as we might like to believe that, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Uh, what Jesus is doing is contrasting conventional human wisdom with life in the kingdom of God. Uh, conventional human wisdom says, if you're going to do something for someone, if you're going to do something good for someone, make sure it's someone who's strategic. Make sure it's someone who can pay you back. Make sure it's someone uh, who uh, can do you good. That's conventional human wisdom. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Jesus says life in the kingdom of God 
is now through him, his presence on earth, his teaching, his life and death and resurrection available to all people. In the kingdom of God, life doesn't work like uh, conventional wisdom. In the kingdom of God, sometimes people do wonderful things for other people for no strategic reason at all. They're just generous. Jesus says, there's another way now, a better way to live than this conventional human wisdom. Sometimes do something for someone that can't pay you back. And he does this by way of illustration, uh, mentioning some people in his day. He says the poor, uh, the disabled, who would not have any way to pay back the host for such a banquet. It's just a way of giving a picture of what life is like in the kingdom of God. Uh, he's not saying that you could never have your relatives over for dinner or never fix a meal for your relatives. He's contrasting the way things normally run in this fallen world with another way, a better way. When he says in Matthew 5, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also, Jesus is not giving a law here. He's not saying that you must let anyone who wants to hurt you uh, keep hurting you. He's contrasting it with conventional human wisdom, which is known by any four-year-old and goes like this. You hit me, I'll hit you back. You hurt me and I'll hurt you back. Uh, you inflict pain on me and I'll try to make you feel worse pain. And of course, we live in a world where you read the news any given day and you see that law at work in any part of the world, year after year, century after century. Jesus says, now there's another way to live. There's a better way to live. Uh, you don't have to live in the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, forgiveness and mercy and grace are a real possibility in human relationships. There's another way. Jesus says, it's a real good thing that you have some difficult people in your life because they'll teach you the real condition of your heart. He said later in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? He's saying it's no surprise when someone is able to love people that love them back. But the real test is what do you do with difficult people? Conventional human wisdom says avoid them or hurt them or at least inside hold them in contempt. Pass judgment on them as inferior. Look down on them. Want them to hurt. Jesus says now there's a better way. There's a new possibility with God's help. It will take uh, judgment and discernment it's not always simple. There are not always like mechanical rules to cover every situation, but it's the way of love, loving people as is. Jesus has given us another way to live, a better way. And in the kingdom of God way of living, people do wonderful things for others for no strategic reason at all. They're just being generous sometimes irrationally generous, as a way of loving others. We have that opportunity in the weeks ahead. 
Our November food drive to help meet the needs of Tri-Valley families experiencing food insecurity has one week left. We've partnered with two churches that are distributing food locally, Valley Bible Church of Pleasanton and The Well in Livermore, and you can demonstrate generosity in any of the following ways. Give financially to the Compassion Fund, drop off purchase items at the Blue Oaks offices, or volunteer your time to help receive and distribute donated food items. The Christmas Toy Drive is also now open. You can sponsor a family that is facing financial need and make their Christmas brighter. There are two ways of sponsorship. Option one, you shop for the family you've chosen using the information provided and then drop off the gifts at one of three locations. Or option two, you can make a financial donation towards the family you choose and we will do the shopping for you. There are also opportunities to serve with the toy drive by shopping, organizing, or distributing gifts. You'll find all the details at blueoakschurch.org and click the latest news button. So, who are the difficult people? Let's rejoin Matt as we begin to look at two different categories and how we can respond. All right, what I wanna do now is walk through two categories of difficult people. Uh, we'll look at two this week, and then we'll look at two more next week. And I'll describe these categories of difficult people, and I just wanna ask you to think, do I have anyone that fits this category in my life? And how can I get a, a handle on another way, on a better way of dealing with them? Uh, something that transcends uh, the conventional human wisdom. Okay, the first profile I wanna talk about is the critic. Uh, you may have someone like this in your life. If you have a critic in your world, you sometimes feel like your life is like a movie and it's his or her job uh, to give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. The critic tends to be a perfectionist on the lookout for flaws. Uh, and it's not just that the critic has high standards, it's almost as if he wants you to fall short so that he can point it out to you. Uh, now, when I was growing up, my mom had high standards for cleanliness. Uh, she would clean the floor on her hands and knees with bleach a couple times a week. Uh, and as we got older, we were given chores and whoever had the chore of cleaning the floor, which was often me, uh, we would be subject to my mom's critique of the work. I mean, she would often walk around and kind of point out smudges or specks of dust that were missed. Uh, now, my mom was and is a terrific person, uh, but critics have a way of doing this. They, they like to walk around and kind of point out, you know, there's something wrong or there's something wrong. And what's so painful about that is not just that they have high standards. What's painful about it is generally with a critic, you get the feeling that this is someone who wants you to fall short so that they can experience the joy of correcting you, pointing out where you've fallen down. And what's so hard about the critic is you get this sense that they're not for you. They're not trying to breathe life into you and build you up. They have this kind of smug arrogance to them where they enjoy pointing out flaws and shortcomings. Interestingly, according to research, the critic is the number one most frequent difficult relationship. And amazingly enough, although Jesus was perfect, he got a lot of criticism in his day. 
I mean, he was called a glutton. He was called a drunkard. Uh, he was criticized for the people that he hung out with. Uh, he was called a friend of sinners. Uh, he was uh, attacked with racial slurs. Uh, he was called a half-breed. He was called a blasphemer. Now, if Jesus went through this life and never sinned, was perfect the whole way through, and he was still criticized, I mean, what in the world makes us think that we're going to get through life without critics? But there's something inside of us that can be so sensitive to being criticized. You know, the Apostle Paul was criticized. Uh, he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and he noted that there were people there who said this, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. That's what some people were saying about Paul. In the face of this kind of criticism, Paul made this amazing statement. And maybe these words need to be your words this week. This is what Paul said. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Paul says to his critics, you will make evaluations of me, I know, and I care some, but not much. I mean, he doesn't say, I care nothing if you judge me. He says, I care very little. I'll try to learn from what you say, Paul says. Uh, it matters some, but not much. Ultimately, I will not give another human being the power to determine my worth. I don't care even to do that for myself. That's in God's hands. And God already pronounced that one. God says, I'm worth the life of his son. God says, I'm his child. And so I'll listen and I'll learn as best I can. But I don't want to expend useless energy trying to defend myself to you. And I'll not have my energy for life crushed by you. I will not give you the power to determine my worth. That's in God's hands. Now, you may be living with a critic and you may need to learn from that person whatever you can. But you need to remember, we all have a little critic inside of us. We all like to point out stuff uh, to other people every once in a while. So show appropriate grace because you've got some of that in you and so do I in me. But most of all, make this week an exercise in living in freedom as someone whose worth has been declared by God. Make Paul's words your words this week. I care some, but not much. If I'm judged by you or any human court, I don't even judge myself. Judgment is in God's hands. That's the best way to live with a critic. All right, the second profile of someone who can be difficult uh, is what might be called the wet blanket. The wet blanket is marked by a consistent attitude of pessimism. And this robs him or her of energy and enthusiasm. Uh, the wet blanket is rarely motivated toward growth or achievement or excitement or enthusiasm. Uh, there's very little spark of life in this person. Uh, but it doesn't just affect this person's life. The wet blanket often seems to have a need to dampen enthusiasm in other people. Imagine you have two blankets. One of them is dry and one of them is wet. You put a soaking wet blanket next to a dry blanket in the linen closet come back in a few hours later, uh, what do you have? Two wet blankets. Uh, there's been remarkable research done on how uh, contagious moods are. You put one person like this in a group and it just spreads. You put one person like this around a table 
the mood of the whole table goes south. You may need to hear the words from Paul. The Apostle Paul sitting in prison had some people like this in his life. And he's writing to the church at Philippi. So he's in chains. And he said, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Paul had some wet blankets in his life. But Paul's motto and his basic command to the church at Philippi that he repeats over and over and over again is this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul makes a real deep decision and maybe you need to make this decision. Uh, You need to do it this week. I will not give to another person the power to determine my mood. I just won't do it. The command is real clear. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now you really can choose. Uh, Who do you want to catch a mood from? Uh, From this man Jesus who was and is radiantly filled with life and joy or from someone who has a chronic spirit of negativity and defeat? It's really your call. Maybe you need to make these words of Paul's your words this week. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Well, these are two of the most common types of irregular, as is difficult relationships. Uh, We'll look at two more next week. Now, my guess is you have one of these people in your life. If you don't, you will. And part of what's really painful about this is not only do I have some of these people in my life, but sometimes I'm the difficult person in someone else's life. Sometimes I'm the difficult person. I know that about me. And that's true of you too. You see, from God's point of view, people look different than they do often to you and me. God doesn't divide the human race up into two categories. Uh, God doesn't look down on this earth and say, well, there are the healthy and sound people that I enjoy being with, like you and me, and then there are the uh, sick ones over there. God doesn't divvy it up that way. He just sees a whole lot of people all in the same boat. Children that he loves, that he made in his image, who are now fallen and broken and junked up by sin and in a world that damages people. I mean, that's what God sees. But God has this restless longing that no one would end up in that boat. God God wants human beings redeemed and reclaimed. And a part of being redeemed and reclaimed is wanting that for other people, including difficult people, especially difficult people. God is a master at loving people as is. And he wants his people, you and me, to be the same way. Just as we all have difficult people in our lives, the truth is we can sometimes be the difficult person in someone else's life. The good news is that God is a master at loving us as is. And his desire is that we are all redeemed and reclaimed, or as we would say, living Christ-centered lives. That involves growth, taking next steps from where we are towards where we want to be. Each week, we provide some practical next steps that you can take in response to the topic of the talk. Some are simple commitments that you can make, while others require some deeper work inside ourselves. 
If you haven't before, why not try a next step and see what God does? You can find the next steps for each episode at blueoakschurch.org and click the past messages link at the top of the page. We're also putting in place a spiritual assessment tool and resources that will give you immediate feedback, your spiritual location, so to speak, and provide you a personalized spiritual growth plan. You'll hear more about that in the weeks to come, so stay tuned. So, we've looked at two categories of difficult people. For many of us, the desire is to fix the person. But is there a greater gift we have to give? Let's rejoin Matt and find out. All right, in the time we have left, I wanna talk about a gift that we need to give to all people, but especially the difficult people in our lives. And it's the gift of prayer. Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount about difficult relationships, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who wound you. Pray for those who say bad things to you or about you. Pray for those who cause you trouble. Pray for those people that you can hardly even tolerate, that you don't admire. Pray for them. How are you doing with that one? I'll tell you why this is so important. When there are people I know that are troubled people, I see bad habits or patterns in their lives, my desire is I wanna fix them. And I often have what I think are wonderful ideas about how to do that. The truth is, I can't fix anyone. I can't change anyone. And it's a very good thing that I can't because if I had that kind of power over another person, I would do very serious damage to them. I can't be trusted with that kind of power and neither can you, and God knows that. Now, I'm not saying don't say hard things at times when you need to. I'm saying give up trying to fix them. God has placed a key to every human heart in the hands of every human being. And if you're real clever with people, and you may be, you may be able to control people or manipulate them or coerce them or flatter them. You may be able to get behavioral compliance but you can't control someone's heart. That door is only open from the inside. You can't change anyone. Only God can do that. And God himself will not do that unless that person asks him to, unless that person allows it. Therefore, the single most important thing you can do for someone, especially for a difficult someone, is pray. Jesus had one of the most amazing conversations in human history with his friend Peter, just before Jesus died. Jesus knew Peter was weak. He was about to deny him. And so Jesus said these words in Luke 22, Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. That is, you're gonna be tempted and you're gonna fall short. And then Jesus says this, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. This is an amazing thing. Jesus himself, the son of God, when he sees his closest friend about to make the greatest mistake in his life, he doesn't fix him. He doesn't try to control him. He doesn't use uh, condemnation or shame or a long lecture. He doesn't use a supernatural power uh, to rewire Peter's brain. He loves Peter. He deeply wants Peter to make the right choice, but he steps back and allows Peter the freedom to succeed or fail on his own. 
And this one thing is the main thing Jesus does. I have prayed for you. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't fix Peter, what in the world makes us think that we can fix the troubled people in our lives? We can't. And sometimes that's so painful uh, with your children or with your spouse or someone you've known for a long time. You can't fix them. The single most important thing you can do is pray for them. So do that. Especially, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Because when you do that, not only does that set in motion God's work in that person's life, but something also happens to you. It's real hard to hang on to bitterness and resentment and hostility and judgment towards someone that you've authentically been praying for. It's just real hard to hold both of those things in the human heart. If you have anyone difficult in your life, the best thing you can do for them is pray for them. You have difficult people in your life. Everyone does. Pray for them. Learn to be patient. Learn to give up your obsession with fixing them and changing them. And learn to see beyond the difficulty. All right, let me pray for them right now. God, we all have these people in our lives who are difficult, uh, maybe who drain the life out of us. But I want to pray for them right now. God, I pray that you would help us to see beyond their difficulty, to maybe the pain and the hurt that's going on inside of them. Help us to empathize with them. Help us to uh, see them the way that you see them as your creation, someone who you love. And God, would you change our hearts toward them as a result of that? And, um, and you, it's only through your spirit, it's only through your work in our lives that we're going to change in this way toward the difficult people in our lives. And so pr I pray that you would do that miraculous work in us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.